MNK Talk YA now presents The Six of Crows, Part 1 of the Six of Crows series by Lee Bardugo. Welcome back to M&K Talk YA. I'm Marissa Snyder. And I'm Katie Bradford. And this is our YA fiction podcast. And this week we are starting a brand new series, but in a familiar world, because we could not bear to leave the Grishaverse behind. So we are reading Six of Crows. And we read part one this week, so up to chapter 20, so read through chapter 19. By, also by Lee Bardugo, and it is set in the same world as our last series, Shadow and Bone. I love it. I'm loving it right now. It's so good. And I love like how it's familiar, but still very different at the same time. Yeah, there's like hints of Shadow and Bone. Like there's some familiar names, and like there's a heart render, but it's still it's a completely different story. Completely different story, even a completely different like part of the world. But yeah, some of that like magic world, like uh, world setting or what do they call it? World building? World building. That's the word or <laughs> phrase. It's just like it was so easy to get into at the same time. Yeah. And it seems like it takes place after the events of Shadow and Bone because I was looking at the maps and the shadow fold is like filled in. Like that rift was healed. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I was like, okay, that's helpful to like kind of orient myself. Well, and what's her name? Nina was talking about Zoya and the like triumvirate of Grisha power. Right. At one point. So that makes it seem like it's after they came to power. And I think she even talked about Prince Nikolai, or maybe that was another character, but Mm -hmm. very briefly. And being a child during the Civil War. Yeah. Um, Did you hear the news that Lee Bardugo is coming out with a series just about Nikolai? No. I am so excited. <laughs> oh, it's <I> am. <laughs> this this might be the most exciting news I've gotten all week, and as um, you know a little bit, I've gotten some really exciting news this week. <laughs> Do you want to talk about that actually? Because that trumps that I mean, that is more exciting than a series about King Nikolai. Well, they're they're pretty close that's how (laughs) exciting this news is but um yeah so we tried to record a little bit I'm not sure how it's gonna work but we can insert that here and tell you my news (laughs) yeah well Katie had a big surprise for me and and um framed it as um a way to try and get me to record with her to improve our sound quality I have no idea how to improve our sound quality is the moral of the <laughs> but story. But I totally fell for it. And I was like, yeah, let's do a, a practice session to improve our sound quality. And then instead, <laughs> she had this message for me. Hey, how are you? I'm good. How are you doing? Good. Well, I actually tricked you. Wait, what do you mean? So I was just pretending that I wanted to work on sound stuff. I really don't know anything about how to improve our sound. And I wanted to show you that I got engaged. Oh my God. <laughs> Katie! <laughs> We're so excited. I'm still in shock. 
Oh my god. In the back of my mind, I was thinking, like, I bet they're engaged. I'm not even kidding you. I honestly was thinking that. Oh my gosh. Yay, we're engaged. That's so exciting. I know. I just, I had, I know we weren't recording this week, and I wanted to let you know, and I was trying to surprise you. Oh my you. god. I'm so glad you did. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. I'm engaged. So, yeah, big congratulations to Katie and James on their engagement. I'm so, so happy for you, Um, obviously, as evidenced by my screaming reaction when you told me. (laughs) Did you guys set a date yet? No, we haven't, like, planned at all yet. I haven't even gotten him to agree to do the Red Rising fan of the week yet, so. (laughs) You put that in your wedding vows. (laughs) Priorities, yeah. Well, hopefully he'll do it before the wedding vows. I need to get him to promise to listen to all of our episodes. He doesn't even listen to all of them right now. He's like, I can't read as fast as you guys. <laughs> That's sweet that he listens at all, actually. My sister, my poor sister is in Haiti and has been sick. Oh, no. And uh, she, first of all, loves the series. So she's been like, I need, I feel like I don't talk to you anymore. I need more episodes so I can feel like I'm talking to you. But oh. <laughs> she's been sick, so she's just been reading all of our books, like the one she hadn't read while we posted. And listening to us talk about them so that's been kind of fun to have her react she she just heard the Beyonce goat episode she's like you talked about Beyonce (laughs) I forgot about that (laughs) oh she must be so happy for you guys too oh she is she finally gets a brother she said oh that's what my sister said when she and I got engaged that was her exact reaction um I've, I've never thought about it that much having a brother would be pretty cool oh agreed one day will happen to me too <laughs> did, so how did James propose? So he got us a flying lesson. I've always wanted to get my pilot's license. Oh, wow. But I was like really resistant at first. So we were away in Arizona for the weekend. And I was kind of like, well, sh- they're kind of expensive. Like, shouldn't we wait until we're ready to really commit? Like, let's not do this discovery <laughs> flight. And he's like, no, I think it'll be cool. Like, it'll be, you know, what else we're going to do he's that like, day? I think we're ready. <laughs> and he was like really chill which is why I actually like had a moment where I was like maybe he's gonna propose and that's why he's pushing this and then I was like no he's not nervous at all like he'd be freaking out that's not what's happening (laughs) and so I was freaking out because I was flying a plane I flew a plane from Scottsdale to Sedona it was like a, a 40 minute flight or something did you land it and take off I I did a lot of the takeoff and I flew the whole way and then the instructor landed us in Sedona and then he offered to take a picture of us. Sedona's, like, beautiful, and the airport's, like, on this cliff, and you can see the red rocks all around. And I love pictures, so I was like, great, perfect. I was, like, talking about how my hand, like, I had been squeezing the, like, oh, yeah. contr- the thing. I was like, I can't even straighten my hand, and, like, talking about nonsense stuff. And then all of a sudden he turned to me and started talking about how much he loved me oh. and all this stuff. I don't even remember everything he said anymore, but he was down on one knee, and there was this shiny thing. And and you had just flown I, a plane, so you're already, like, full I, of adrenaline, probably. It was, yeah, it was crazy. Um, and I said yes, and we... It was funny, the instructor actually was like, that was the coolest thing I've ever done. I was so nervous about your, about the proposal, because I guess James called him earlier in the week and stuff, so it was really, really fun. And he was able to take pictures. Your pictures are so cute. (laughs) Yeah, so he took pictures of the whole thing, which was really cool, except I I was looking at all these other pictures of people's engagements, and all these girls are, like, covering their mouths when they're surprised. I was, like, covering my eyes. You were covering "Ah!" your whole head. (laughs) I was like, what's happening? (laughs) 
so and now I look at them and I'm like, what was I doing? <laughs> it's, it is just like a complete blur when it happens. But I'm so excited for you guys. It was so exciting. And I actually took a page out of your book because we didn't tell anyone immediately. Because didn't you? You were yeah, in New Orleans, right? we were in New Orleans and we waited the, well, we waited a day. <laughs> yeah. And then we couldn't, we couldn't stand it anymore. So we called our parents, but we didn't tell the extended family until like a couple months later, which was really hard because I'm really, really close with my cousins and my aunt and uncle, but I wanted to tell them in person. So we waited uh. a little. That was like the trade-off. I barely told anyone in person because we were, I did, I, we waited like a day. And the hardest thing was Megan, my sister in Haiti, was like in the mountains and had no internet access. And I was like, I have to tell her before I tell everyone. So when we were finally ready to tell people, we couldn't even get a hold of her. So it, oh, took, no. it took a while to let everyone know, but it was really fun. And now it's on Facebook. It's official. Yeah. That's how you know. <laughs> <laughs> no changing my mind now. Well, I really feel like Lee Bardugo is writing this, announced this Nikolai series as like a, an engagement gift just for you. <laughs> I, I think so too. Yeah. I'm, I'm very excited for it. So. And now you kind of got your own personal Prince Charming pirate prince Nikolai. Yeah. I got a, a pirate prince. And he, he helped me fly just like Nikolai, like yeah! builds flying machines. Oh my God. There's so many tie-ins. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I was actually laughing when I was reading this because Kaz, the main character, he has the same haircut that Chad does. <laughs> they, they talk about it like being short. Wait, what? <laughs> Chad got this haircut and it's like short on the sides and long on the top. And they talk about like Kaz has that haircut. That's so funny. And I was just, I know, and I was just laughing because <laughs> Chad's like really tall with dark hair and has this haircut and then... I mean, this isn't this isn't funny, but he like twinged his knee playing basketball a couple weeks ago, and so he was like limping around the house. And I was like, <laughs> "Am I? I'm married to Kaz Breaker right now." <laughs> well, I'm glad you love Kaz because I took the quiz about which character I was, and I ended up being Kaz. Oh my gosh, I did too. You were Kaz too. Yes, I was. Actually, <laughs> you sent it to me and I was like, oh my god, I can't wait to take this quiz. And I actually took a picture of it because I was like, I took it three times and I was Kaz every single time. And it was like, congratulations, you're a thief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was like, you're a criminal prodigy. I was like, why, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't know how to feel about that, but I feel a little better knowing that you are Kaz as well. Maybe the whole quiz is rigged. Everyone else go take it. And if you end up not being Kaz, let us know. Yeah, I'm curious. That's so funny. I, I didn't really want to be Kaz. So. <laughs> but I, I don't know. He's like, he's like my type. I'm like, oh, you're like kind of up to no good and mischievous and charming at the same time and have some questionable morals. Right, just my type. <laughs> you can relate to that. I do hold a mean grudge. I will say that. We have that in common. Note to self, don't get on your bad side. I mean, if you hurt my sister, watch <laughs> out. I will I'll hate you until the day I die. <laughs> no, I'm just going to make her cornbread casserole and everything's going to be fine. Um, so which character did you identify with most? Not based on the quiz, but just based on which point of view did you like enjoy? That's a good question. I almost feel like we should go through the characters one by one and, and like talk about them that way. But I'll try to think. I'll try to think of my favorite one. Ooh, I really liked Nina. I feel like I can relate to Nina the most. I like her a lot too. She's got a lot of spunk, and I also I love her relationship with Zoya. Even that's her name, right? You know how I always get her name wrong. 
that it? The um, squalor. Yeah. Yeah, how she, like, admired her so much, but also really wanted to prove herself. But was also kind of intimidated and, like, mm-hmm. bullied a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah, I, li- I like her a lot. What about you? And I like, I like, um, well, actually, Kaz is probably my favorite. <laughs> but I also liked uh, the acrobat. Oh, Inej. Yeah. How do you pronounce that? I wasn't sure. Um, there was, okay, there was a, like, pronunciation guide in the back of my book. Um, oh. And I'm trying to find it. <clears throat> Inej. Okay. I buy it. I like that. That's all, that's all I'm going to say. It's tough that we have the job of, like, figuring out how to pronounce these names. Because <laughs> some of them are not easy. Yeah. I liked Inej, too. I just felt like... I felt like I could be girlfriends with Nina, and I didn't know if I could be that way with Inej, because she's so... She's just very serious. She is very serious. And she kind of has to be, because, you know, she had a very um, rough, rough history. Yeah, I love the way she's telling the story and giving the flashbacks of the characters, though, too. I'm feeling yes. like there's kind of, like, multiple stories going on at the same time, and it's really fun. Agreed, agreed. Because, like... She drops little hints about every character, and then you kind of are to spark your curiosity, and then you just really want to know why these characters are the way they are, and they we keep getting little flashes of it, and I'm just I'm so curious to figure out everyone's backstory. I'm actually really curious about Jasper. Is that how you say it? Mm-hmm. As well, because I feel like we've gotten the least kind of insight into. I mean, I guess we know he's like can't resist a bad deal but right. otherwise I feel like we don't know that much about his background I mean he came from a farm let's start and, with Jesper yeah let's start I don't him. I like really hope we get more of it I feel like we've gotten the least amount of his backstory so I'm excited to hear more about him I couldn't figure out if his dad was alive or not alive because he said something about missing his dad and I could <sighs> yeah I kind of got the sense that he was alive and thought he was still going to school and that Jesper like kept oh right 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 lying to him because he told him that he was um at the university yep okay which was his initial plan as well right and, and Jesper is Zemini that's where he's from yes okay I also loved I think it was this conversation with um in Inej is that mm-hmm. how you say it okay um where he was talking about he like loves gambling but apparently he like can't tell a lie and he can't bluff or whatever I was like how are how is this your passion (laughs) I know it's almost like he just can't help himself like he just loves betting and is just not that great at it (laughs) so I'm so curious to see kind of more of how he ended up that way like what his life was like before he showed up here agreed and I also like that he um really wants to be like Kaz's second and he really wants Kaz to trust him and he gets kind of hurt when he when Kaz doesn't treat him special, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah. I think we know the least amount of him about him for sure. Um, all right, who next? You pick. Um, let's talk about Wylan. Okay, I'm mad that we haven't heard anything from his point of view yet. Oh, that's true. We didn't get a Wylan chapter. But um, I think he's going to be interesting. I really want to know what happened with between him and his dad. I know because. All right, let me find my Wyland notes. <laughs> I took the most notes out of any book we've read on the first half. <laughs> ten. I have ten pages. There's a lot going on. I mean, with all those different points of view, it's also like there's just a lot happening. Okay, so Wyland. All right, so we know he left his father's home. 
And we know his dad is still reaching out and asking him to come back, which right. gives the impression that his dad did something to upset Wyland, but we don't really know much about what his morals or priorities are that would kind of give a hint to what that might be. Right, because it doesn't seem like he got kicked out of his house or anything, like his dad's begging him to come back. We just know that he left. Oh, there was the rumor that he was like caught in bed with his tutor. Yeah, but I kind of doubt that. I don't know why. Yeah, it might just be a, a, a rumor. But it doesn't seem... It seems like, yeah, you're right. His dad did something to upset him. We know he's like from a wealthy merchant's um, background. Well, his dad his dad is the one that's funding this mission, Yeah, right? exactly. Mm-hmm. And that's why nothing happened to Wyland when he like first arrived in the barrel because... Kaz knew that it was um, Van Eck's son, and so he was protecting him, knowing that he might come in handy at some point. Like, that's so crazy. I also, I think he's kind of interesting just because he has such a different background, so he hasn't had as much application experience as the rest of the crew. Right. But he has had this kind of, like, formal education, and he really seems to think about things in an interesting way. So I think he's going to end up being a surprising asset. Yeah, what do they say, like, hidden depths? I think he has hidden depths. Yes, agreed. But I dislike that people um, assume he can't, he can't, like, fight for himself or fend for himself just because he comes from this kind of privileged background. Um, And you can see, like, Wyland getting kind of upset about it, too. Like, they always jab him for being young, and he's like, I'm not that much younger than you guys. And, like... You know, they make fun of him for playing the flute and, like, having a tutor and having this kind of cushy lifestyle, but I feel like he is going to prove himself, for sure. And he already kind of has. I mean, he is a demolitions expert at the end of the day. Yeah, but he he still hasn't actually proven himself. Like, I feel like part, like, all this banter is kind of normal for their group, and he hasn't earned their respect yet. So I still think he will and can, but I don't think he has yet. Like, I don't blame them for teasing him. Yeah, especially since, like, Van Eck, is that his father? Yep. Yeah, I think so. Especially since, like, he got the one over Kaz at the beginning. He kidnapped him. Yeah, well, because he was using, like, crazy magic that's beyond normal Grisha magic. (laughs) What do you think about that? The whole, like, drug addiction, crazy powers. Jirda Parun. Yep. Oof. Um, That was interesting because it completely changes the whole order of the Grisha power. Like, they're not supposed to be able to create things out of nothing, and, like, the heart renders are only supposed to be able to change your body, and and it's now allowing them to change your mind and have, like, mind control powers. Yeah. It's terrifying. It is, but it's also weird because it seems like even though they do that, they're, like, it's not good for the Grisha either. Like Right. Because it's, like, I mean, at one time, right? And they're addicted. Yeah. It's like and they're meth. crazy addicted. Yeah. It's like meth. It's like Parem not even once. <laughs> you know, they say that they're like not even once. Yeah. That's how it is. And like um, that one, the poor um, Anya at the beginning when she uh, escaped finally from her confinement where she was being held as like an indentured Grisha. Mm-hmm. And then she went back after she escaped because she needed more of the drug. Yeah, and died in the process because she did it, like, so dangerously. So it's incredibly addicting, and it seems like it could be. And it kind of, it scares me in general. Like, even if we catch this scientist guy and handle him or eliminate him or whatever, like, the fact that this exists and is out there and could be created again kind of freaks me out for the whole Grisha world. Oh, it's a huge weapon. Yeah. 
Because not only could it create weapons out of the Grisha, it also, I, I feel like it destroys them. And then, and then what? You have... What do you think it would do to the Darkling if he was still around? Oh, God. <laughs> oh, my God. I feel like it would give him the same power that Maeve had back in Young Elites. Like, he'd be able to raise people from the dead. But darkness wasn't necessarily related to death there. That's true. I have no idea what would happen. I hope we never find out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, who's who, who's next? Um... Okay, so we talked about Jesper. We talked about... Do we want to talk more about Nina? Yeah, I love Nina. I love... Um, I really like... And I want to know more about her history with Matthias. Yeah, that's so interesting. Like, all... They obviously... Ha- there's something positive there, but they're both also, like, so hurt by all the bias and assumptions and prejudice that they were raised with at the same time. Yeah, but they're also both so similar because out of all of this crazy crew of misfits, they are the only two soldiers. Yeah. Like they were both raised with that kind of discipline, um, but in just such different ways. And I, It's actually kind of interesting. I feel like um, Ma- Matthew is, he's like prejudiced against her because she's a Grisha, but also because she's a woman who has this yeah. kind of soldier background. It's kind of an interesting statement about fear. How do you say it? Fjord. Fjordans? Yep. Yep. Like in his world, it's not common for women to be warriors. Whereas in Nina's, it's very, very common. Yeah. Or even to like have opinions, it seems like in some ways. Like it seems like kind of that very traditional women run the house and men run the world kind of thing. Well, I think there's also something exotic about Nina to him just because of the fact that he is, um, what do they call it? Druskil? So it's like these warrior monks who are raised to hunt Grisha. And as part of it, he said that they like took a vow of chastity, that they weren't, you know, they took a vow of chastity until they were married. And so I think he's just had very little contact with women. And then to see someone like Nina, who really embraces her femininity and, you know, she flirts a lot very brazenly and she is very confident and she's also a warrior. And I think... It, like all of those combinations of who she is clashes with him. And I think he just like doesn't know how to handle it. Yeah, he doesn't at all. But it's kind of, well, and I also, I want to know more about her betrayal of him because yeah, like her sticking around to get him out of jail. And the last thing we saw in the flashback was them kind of both surviving the shipwreck and relying on each other. Like, I'm kind of curious when and how that switched and what kind of, because right now I feel like in the flashbacks, we're seeing the trust grow. Mm-hmm. But obviously, it sounds like she was the one who basically condemned him to jail. So I want to know if that was intentional or what kind of what's the story there. Same here, because at the beginning, like he captures her, but then when that boat sinks, it's funny how they're they both dislike each other, but in that moment, they have such a strong instinct to save each other. And I was actually laughing because they didn't even know each other's names; they were just were calling each other. <laughs> witch and witch hunter and it was yeah. kind of funny when they were like adrift in sea but, but they were trying to like reach one another and save one another and she was like witch hunter and he was like witch <laughs> and that's like the only thing they knew how to call each other <laughs> and then they like ended up saving each other's lives and becoming closer yeah and and they've got fun banter which i think helped them survive that whole experience and i hope plays out nicely in the rest of the book same, yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree. Um, but I do want to, I want to learn more about 
Matthias is a witch hunter. I want to know more about what she, how she betrayed him as a, a slave trafficker, right? Is what she, they, she said. Yeah. She accused him of being. And it's just cool to see him, how he is like simultaneously repulsed by her, but yet is also attracted to her. Yeah, and seeing him struggle with that. For sure. And even, he just has, he seems to have the strongest sense of like honor or morality. Like he seemed to really believe in this cause that is no longer his life and has in some ways turned its back on him because of his current title as a slave trader or whatever but i feel like he's being pulled to his past more strongly than the rest of them for like what that means and like morally coming to terms with the betrayal that he's about to do to his people and i'm i'm curious when and if that uh becomes a real issue for the team yeah he definitely has a stronger moral compass than all of them i would say but kind of an old-fashioned sense of morality an at the same fa- yeah. time. Yeah. I do like the part where they're all talking and Kaz is like, what's the easiest way to pick a man's pocket? And Inez is like, a knife to the throat. And Nina's like, poison in his cup. And Matthias is just like, you're all horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which is also funny when you think about him as a soldier and hunting these people and planning to like put them up for trial. And it's it's interesting to see Nina keep calling him out on that kind of like are there any fair trials? Right. Is there any way I could have survived? What is my crime? Like all this stuff, like when will that, when will he realize that they're not like, I don't know. Well, yeah. The way he, he thought. Yeah. Because he, um, they say that they're, they're lower even than animals to, in their eyes. Cause he was like, it's an insult to, to a dog to call you a dog because yep. they're not even human to him. They're abominations and they shouldn't exist. The Grisha. And yeah. so, yeah, it's like, I think the more he gets to know, it's it's exactly like the more you get to know someone and the more, you know, you un- get to understand them, that's how your prejudices fall away. Yeah. I wonder if we'll see very many more Grisha, because she's the only Grisha in the troop of six, right? I think so. Yeah. She's, because she's a heart render and no one else has any power, I think. Yep. Some of the boat crew, I guess, are squallers, but yeah. we don't even really know them and they're not really part of the team. No, but we also do learn that um, at the very end of the chapter 19 that um, Inferni soldiers killed Matthias's uh, mother, father, and sister. It burned his village. So we do have a little bit of a backstory for why he hates Grisha so much. That's true. Yeah. And I wonder if we'll see more. Yeah. It's just, I can't imagine being on a slaver ship or whatever and picking at people because it seems like everyone else on the ship too. I mean, she was a soldier, but she was playing a local girl who didn't know any better. And then a lot of the people on the ship were like teachers and farmers. And the people that she was trying to save before she got caught were like essentially the doctors in the villages. And like they were, it was just kind of interesting to think about. Oh, I thought they were all Grisha. I mean, they were all Grisha, but they were all... Oh, okay. The whole... I mean, they weren't all Grisha soldiers. They weren't all Second Army Grisha. Yeah, yeah, that's true. They weren't all using their powers for evil or manipulation or to take advantage of humans. Like, some of them were trying to help people or just trying to live a peaceful existence with people. And they just kind of roped them all into the one category. Yeah. It's... Yeah, we are seeing more about, like... Because we saw hints in Shadow and Bone about how the Grisha are... um, captured as slaves and sold or be held as indentures to serve one family and use their powers um, in service. And Mm -hmm. so it's interesting more to see kind of that in practice. 
yeah, all the different way, the different cultural reactions to this mm-hmm. unnatural magic. Yeah, and and I, I mean, I do think that Nina is like a she's a breath of fresh air kind of in this crew because everyone is so serious, and she is the only one who really has a really good sense of humor, and she's like very lighthearted about stuff. And, and I love her love of food. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> that makes me really... Every time that comes up, it makes me happy. I can re- really relate to her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, yeah, she she is one of my favorites. Um, I guess the only one left, really, is Kaz. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just... I like him a lot. I like that he has so many secrets. <laughs> so many! And I, and I like how he deals in secrets, too. Like, he's obviously not afraid to be brutal and violent, but that's not his go-to. Like, he's actually, like, a really smart, competent person, and I feel like I respect him so much for that side of it. I agree. And I love how he is always one step ahead of everyone. Like, yeah. even in the beginning when he, like, knew that that guy, what's-his-face, Bollinger, was working against him, and he just needed, like, a public admission that he had turned on them and then like how he told that other guy that he sent stranger or soldiers to his girlfriend's house you know to like kind of make sure he did what he said he was going to do and then at the end he was like no I didn't actually send people to his house but when it was he said something like when people think you're a monster you don't need to do every monstrous thing it's enough that they think you will yeah. But he's like he, a one step ahead all the time. Well, he's so good at information, both using it as leverage against other people and like you kind of reference creating that mystique about himself and like giving just enough detail to kind of build up this image that he can then rely on going forward. Yes. But I also worry because in every book we've read, you know, <laughs> keeping secrets is a problem and creates distrust in groups of people that need to trust each other or you know, what have you. So I'm, I think that's going to bite him in the butt at some point, And I am nervous for him. I am too. Um, especially because, oh, we forgot to talk about Inej. Oh yeah. All right. We will definitely get to her after Kaz because I really love her character. But when, I, when you um, think about Inej, his relationship to Inej too, you can see that he, lo- he loves her. He wants to be with her, but he can't allow himself to kind of be vulnerable yeah. And to show that weakness of wanting someone. And anytime he gets close, he then, like, counterbalances that with so much in the other direction that, yeah. And, like, always pretending like he doesn't care or that he only cares about people because they're assets to him. And it's also interesting because he seems to rely so much on this, like, logic, staying one step ahead, play the game, all, all this stuff. But he, he also is very emotional about whatever happened with his brother, his brother being yeah. taken advantage of and dying and, you know, kind of having this enemy who he really can't be non-emotional about. I really want to know what happened to Jordy. I mean, we got a little bit of the backstory where he was, they, they lost all the money from their father's farm on that bad deal. And they were, they were totally yeah, that broke my heart. In. I know. And it was, but it was so sad because he you saw them in the beginning being targets, like being innocents right off the, like right coming into the barrel. And 
And now he's the one taking advantage of people who was like him when he was a child. I was going to say the way the placement of the flashback was so good, too, because you could see them being targets because you already saw how Kaz now thinks about such things Mm -hmm. and how he now targets people. So it's heartbreaking. Yeah. But I want to know more and I want to know how this Pekka Pekka Rollins guy Rollins was involved because it sounds like he's somehow involved with his brother's death. But we don't we haven't seen that yet. And obviously, it seems like a really direct involvement, almost because yeah, it's he, personal. He wants to destroy him, right? What yeah. does he keep saying, brick by brick, brick or something brick. like that? Ooh. Yeah, it's just—it's so great. I mean, it's so great that like when someone has such um, a strong motivation, and all of the characters have such strong motivations. And they're all yeah. kind of working to fulfill their own agenda. Yeah. And it'll be interesting when they don't align. <laughs> like right now they're all on the same page because it gets them to their next goal. But even things like, even if they catch this guy, I can't remember his name right now. What's his name? Which guy? Yo, the, the scientist guy. Who oh, we're oh, to. oh. Um, <clears throat> here it is. Bo Yul Buyer. Okay. Even if they catch Boyo, they... <laughs> um, like, what they do with him then, it sounds like people even have different reactions to that. Like, whether they should bring him back and get their reward, or whether they have a responsibility to make sure he doesn't make it back to anyone, or whether, you know, yeah. just seeing how that plays out. Matthias just wants to kill him. Yeah. And I'm curious when they meet him, what he'll be like, and if he'll be, like, kind of upset the gang or, like, have, offer them something else than some of the greedy people. I don't know. Like, I'm just kind of, I'm. they have to get to him at some point, I feel like. Whether I feel it's like they will. first try or fifth try, and a lot of things have gone wrong, but I hope he's not dead when they get to him. I hope not too. I'm excited. I'm he's curious not. if he's like a you know the guy. You know, I invented the nuclear bomb, and I didn't realize that it would be used for evil. And now, like, if he really is like, whoops, I didn't mean to create this, and is trying to control it. That's how they set it up now, right? Because they set it up with, like, he found out how his government was intending to use the drug, and that's why he fled, and that's how he was kidnapped by the Fjordians. So, yeah, is that true? In some ways, I'm like, yeah. Or even if, like, how far far do you get in creating something and you're, like, don't realize how it could be? It kind of reminds me of, um, who's the fabricator in the other series, the other Grisha trilogy? Oh, um, the, the one who Jenya was into? Yeah, I can't remember his name right now. But it kind of reminds me of him a little bit in my mind if he's just, like, so interested in the science and pursuing this idea he has and then, like, doesn't think about the consequences or how yeah. someone might use it outside of just the pursuit of knowledge or whatever. Oh, man. That's a good question. I don't really know. But I feel like we'll find out. Um, yes. I also hope we find out more about why Kaz cannot take his gloves off. Yeah, like what the real story is. Yeah, like that's such a curious phobia. Yeah. So it's almost like he can't stand human contact. Because like someone touches him at some point and he's like repulsed by it. And I was just wondering like what happened to you that that is such, that's like such a a, an, a reaction. A negative, yeah. And such a, an effect that, you, that, still, that it still has on you. Like, what happens to have such long-lasting effects? Yeah, especially for someone who's so in control otherwise. Sure, yeah. I hope we figure that out. I'm sure we will. 
I also I can't believe they're all so young. So, like I, I keep forgetting, especially with his limp and stuff. For some reason, I keep imagining him older, like age appropriate. Seventeen. <laughs> But it also kind of makes it fun because it, it gives, you know, it does kind of paint this picture of, like, these kids who think they're, you know, unstoppable a little bit. Or at least Kaz. Like, it kind of paints, mm-hmm. you know, like, you know how people are when they're 17. They've been through so much already and they feel unstoppable now. Yeah, and it's these kids, six kids who had to grow up really fast. Yeah. And you really had no other choice. I, I, I also want to find out why, what is the what is his limp? Why, why he has this limp? Yep. Agreed. I did read that um, in the back of the book, I was reading the note by Lee Bardugo, and she said that she actually has a degenerative condition called osteonecrosis, and it actually means bone death. That's what it translates to, and it makes it really painful for her to walk. And so she said that sometimes she needs to use a cane, so she wanted to create a protagonist who kind of struggles with similar symptoms. And that was her inspiration for Kaz. Interesting. Yeah, I know. It was, um, I don't know, it was just kind of a very honest moment from the author. And it was an interesting explanation for um, giving her character, her main character, this um, particular characteristic. Yeah, I did read something about how she had a limp, but I didn't read the whole background about it or that it was like an intentional... Mm-hmm. Or that she sometimes has a lump when the pain is acting up. Yeah. yeah. So, last but not least, Inez. Yes. Whose name we may not be pronouncing right. Yeah. I like her a lot. I think she, well, she is, like you said, really, really serious. But I also, I love that she, like, hasn't gotten a tattoo and, like, is such a valuable member of this group and is still, like, very religious. Like, I just think she's kind of an interesting set of... Not quite contradictions, but almost contradictions. Yeah, and you see her, um, well, it's tough because you see her both being extremely effective and tough um, as a member of the dregs. Like, she's one of their most valuable players, right? But then you also see the flashback where she's at her most vulnerable when she's captured from her family and sold to the brothel. And so you get, like, this, these dual um, parts of her life that are she's just a completely different person from one to the other and you can see that the 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 girl she is now is like a direct effect about you know how she had to survive in the brothel to stay alive well and even when she runs into the brothel owner again alone like yeah in in the current day or whatever if you will she still like goes reverts back a little bit to the girl she was before and just Mm kind of seeing her struggle with that I don't know. Yeah, she still has this, like, raw terror when she sees her. When she sees but then, Tansy Hill. But then also, she doesn't really seem to second... Like, she's not, like, pro-killing people, but she doesn't seem to second-guess it or regret it. Like, she says a bit of a prayer sometimes, mm-hmm. but but she she's very she's very good at what she does. She's very, like, naturally, ha- like, shows up at the right place and, like, isn't afraid to make a move that needs to be made and doesn't second-guess it or, like... But still wants, you know, Kaz to have some humanity to him and still wants to get out of this life eventually and I don't know I just I, I love that dichotomy in her same here and I love how she's kind of torn between wanting to leave the dregs and go home and find her family and also feeling like she owes Kaz a little bit since he yeah. you know liberated her from the brothel. and I think after that experience he was the one who kind of allowed her to be confident again and he saw worth in her that was more than just what a man would pay for her. You know, he 
I think he made her feel very valuable again. And that, um, that kind of feeling, I think, tethers her to him a lot. And it was interesting to hear that she actually reached out to him first. She was the one who said, yeah. I can help you or whatever. Mm-hmm. So even that, like taking that move, taking that risk and having it pay out, like, I don't know. I, I, I really like her. I'm interested to find out more about her. And I really am interested to find out if she like ends up ends up with Kaz or if they can somehow find a way to be together. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, there's just enough romance in this to make it a little bit fun, too. Did you do any research this week? I did a little bit. Um, I have some kind of weird things open on my computer right now, <laughs> including an article called, No, NASA is not hiding kidnapped children on Mars. Oh. <laughs> How did that come about? <laughs> that particular bit of research. <laughs> well, I was looking up like child slavery stuff, and then somehow I ended up there. But I think <laughs> the thing I dug into the most and I thought was most interesting was I actually was looking into crows. Oh. So the book is called The Six of Crows, and we see kind of the symbolism of crows show up a couple of times. So I was just kind of curious a little bit more about, you know, why they were picked and whatnot. So I don't know if you remember the um, Aesop fable or whatever it's called Mm -hmm. about, like, the clever crow who is trying to get something at the... Oh, I didn't even think about that one. I was thinking about the one... Sorry. (laughs) Well, there's a lot. There's a clever fox and there's a clever crow and they both show up a lot. But um, there's one where the crow is like trying to get something in a tiny tube and he can't reach like the tree at the bottom or something. He puts stones in to like raise the water level and get whatever it is mm-hmm. off, off the top. One. So I actually was reading some different research they've done on crows and they're, they use tools and they're good problem solvers and they may not completely understand displacement. Like they don't seem to get the difference between like a tiny tube and a big tube, but they will do kind of a similar exercise to try to get treats out in a way that a lot of birds won't do. So I thought that was kind of interesting. And then um, they also, a group of crows is called a murder. I did know that. And what I didn't know was that if a crow is dead, they like investigate it. What? They investigate the murder? Yeah, they like... (laughs) If they find a dead crow, they, like, come around and try to figure out what killed it and react to it. And oh they actually, goodness. they can remember faces and they hold grudges. Oh, my God. This is a perfect name for the book, then. I know. Isn't, like, everything I was, so this is, I went down this, like, crow rabbit hole, if you will. But, um, yeah. <laughs> That's so, fascinating. So if they, like, they did these experiments where they someone would wear a mask and carry a dead crow, like, through a feeding area. <laughs> And, like, even if they just saw that person with the mask one time, every time that person would come back, even without a dead crow or anything, they would do this thing called mobbing, which is basically, like, all flocking and, like, attacking this person and and stuff. And they did a bunch of other experiments that, again, showed the facial recognition piece. They'd recognize people who gave them food versus people who were threatening. And um, even crows that had been, like, years after they had been captured would recognize their captures face if they Whoa. saw them again and like peck and so some them. of some of that stuff was just kind of like creepy and cool I thought um and I didn't I I've never really given crows that much thought before so I thought that was kind of cool what a great tie-in I, I'm sure she did, the author did the same research but it makes yeah. it like it makes me appreciate the name so much more yeah and I did read something in one interview that she had which actually got me to look into it a little bit that so she was talking about how scrolls 
crows are scavengers mm-hmm. and they'll like settle for whatever's like left at the end of the day. But then she also said they do hold a grudge. And that's when I looked into some of this other stuff as well. Oh, that's um, interesting. Like they'll, when you said they'll settle for the remains, it made me, in my mind, I was like, Oh, the dregs, they'll settle for the dregs. And I was like, Oh, that's the name of the gang. Oh yeah. I didn't <laughs> even put that together. Yeah, exactly. They'll settle for the dregs. And they own the crow club, the crow club, right? Yep. Yeah. So I thought that was cool, and I'm kind of curious to see how that... And it reminded me of Kaz holding this grudge against someone that we're, we're not even really sure the whole story there, but he's definitely holding on to it. And it kind of seems like most of the char- most of the gang has a grudge against someone or something. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. What about you? What research did you do? Well, um, I was really interested in this ice court. So yeah. the, the whole heist that they're hired, that they're you know trying to pull off as they want to get to this um, guy, this Boya, Boya, what's what's his name, who um, created the drug, and he's being kept prisoner in the ice court. We think. We're not even sure yet, but yes. <laughs> we think. That's what they say. Um, and so they have a map of this ice court in the book, and it's really fascinating to see the layout. And the whole thing that is really um, the, the issue is that this is a fortress, the ice court, that has never been breached. And it's, they call it an impenetrable, you know, fortress. Yep. And so, like, part of the first half of this book was really interesting because they were trying to figure out all of the booby traps, essentially, that, that they could set off when they set siege to this ice court and how they could slip in without being detected. And so I was doing research on fortresses and how and the different kind of defense mechanisms that uh, famous fortresses had back in the day. Oh, cool. So um, this is from exploringcastles.com, historyofhowstuffworks.com, and National Geographic. And it's um, just a section on impenetrable fortresses and like features of uh, castles. So the first... Um, like line of defense for a castle, I guess, was there's this thing called the true de loop. Oh, what what origin of word is that? I don't I don't know what that means. <laughs> okay, that sounds French, right? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Okay, so it was a pit with sharp stakes hidden inside of it, kind of like Ooh, a, a I've heard trap. of that. Yeah, and it was yep. like outside the castle walls, like instead of a moat kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it was like before the moat. There, there, there is a moat in this too. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so then the second line of defense was a, an outer curtain wall. And so it was a big stone wall that encircled the entire castle. And it was usually around six feet thick. So it was inc- really incredibly strong. Wow. Yeah. And um, some other designs that were really effective were using concentric circles and that's actually how the ice court set up. So it's, I was going to say, that reminds yep, me of the map we saw. Yeah, yep, it's set up in concentric circles, so it's layers of curtain walls that conceal the actual fortress within. Cool. And so then another line of defense was the moat, which um, it prevented people with battering rams or archers from getting too close to the castle walls. And that actually was helpful because that distance of keeping people back from the castle made it really easy for cast for archers inside the castle to get a good shot at the attackers. Gotcha. And it also made it really tough for people to burrow underneath the castle walls. How deep were those moats? Do you have any idea? I looked that up. So most moats were about 12 to 20 meters wide and 10 meters deep. Are we British again? 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can do some conversion there. Uh, and it would have been really disgusting for them to swim through the moat because it was used as kind of like a, a waste collection for all the you know sewage that came out of the castle. And sometimes they would hide sharpened stakes in the moat too, just to, you know, further mess with Also, swimming, I feel like, would just be hard to be sneaky about. Like, you can't, and you can't really, like, shoot and swim at the same time or anything. And especially if you're wearing armor. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That too. And Um, it would rust, depending on the armor. (laughs) Exactly. Okay, so then they also had round towers, which gave people a vantage point so they could see attackers coming from far away. And um, a lot of times these towers were circular, and that was because um, a tower that was square would have corners that people could burrow under and easily topple the tower. So a circular tower made it harder for people to knock it over. That's interesting. I wouldn't have thought of that. Oh, it gets better. There's so many cool defense mechanisms. (laughs) So there's also this thing called machicolations. I don't know. Something like that. There are there, there are these overhanging platforms, and they had um, holes in them where people could throw rocks or other objects down on the attackers. And the word machicolation translates to neck crusher. Ooh. <laughs> you know. So, and there was a special type of machicolation called a murder hole. <laughs> oh, how nice. Which is aptly named, and it was a hole that was built into the ceiling, and you could throw, um, you know, animal dung, they said was a speciality to throw through this murder hole, or just large rocks, or um, sometimes scouting water. I feel like throwing (laughs) dung at someone, while not a pleasant thing, wouldn't justify the name murder hole. (laughs) I agree. I agree. Well, they also said that sometimes they would throw dead bodies through it. So... That, I don't know. Um, but they, I read that this is interesting. I think there's a lot of um, people who believe that um, castle defenders would throw down boiling oil on people. And this article actually said that that was probably a myth because it would take a lot of effort to boil and carry vats of oil through a castle during a siege. <laughs> That's a fair <laughs> point, yes. <laughs> Although sometimes the sieges would last months. Although sometimes what? The sieges on castles would last months. Oh, yeah, that's true. Which is crazy. Um, Oh, so just three more things that I thought were interesting. So if you could get past the entrance, the the gateway to the castle normally had lots of really sharp turns and twists. And um, that was to slow down the enemy. And then um, they had spiral staircases going up the towers. And this was cool. So the spirals always went clockwise going up because that would put right-handed attackers at a disadvantage and they wouldn't be able to easily use their sword arms. Nice. But coming down, you would, right? Exactly. But, I mean, attackers would be coming from the bottom up, so it was like another good defense system. And then if they somehow made it through the castle gates, there was something called a bailey or a ward, and that was a wide open space that was just beyond the gatehouse or drawbridge. And so if you made it that far, you were basically in a huge exposed open space that made you... No cover. Yeah, Yeah. no cover. So archers could take you down. Crazy. Yeah, so that's what I learned about how to defend your castle. (laughs) So are you coming up with design ideas for your next um, place to live? 
Uh, I definitely want to moat. Should those follow, unfollow, Instagram followers try to... (laughs) I want to moat in a murder hole. (laughs) Um, Oh, man. So they're going to have their work cut out for them because, yeah, they've got an ice moat, so that's not even a regular moat. I do think it's cool, though, how Wylan is, like, taking notes and, like, drawing up all this stuff. Mm -hmm. And again, like, just the way he's thinking about, well... How is this possible? Or what about this thing? I bet some of that's going to come back and help them get out of there. Yeah, he's going to be a, a huge player, I think. So they should stop making fun of him. Yeah. Be um, nice to people. Be nice to nerds. Yeah. Be nice to us. <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So any other notes about the first half? No, I can't wait to keep reading. I love all of these characters so much. I think I even like it more than the first Grisha series so far. I don't know. I mean, I'm just really into it right now. It's basically, it's it's a cool, like, it's cool that they're doing, like, this job, like, this this heist that they have to, it's kind of like Ocean's Eleven, but with, like, I don't don't know. (laughs) I did read something, an interview with Leigh Bardugo, where she was like, I watched a lot of heist movies. I took notes from Ocean's Eleven, but not Ocean's (laughs) Twelve. I just thought that was funny. Perfect. Um, yeah, I can't wait to keep reading. Okay. Well, will you tell me a joke? Oh, yes. I will tell you a joke. Because, um... It might be my turn, but I didn't think of one. And I think you have one. I have one, actually. Um... (laughs) (laughs) Okay, I think this might be our first knock-knock joke. Ooh. Um, knock-knock. Who's there? Dishes. Fishes who? No, (laughs) dishes. That's what you said. Oh, dishes. I (laughs) think... Start again. <laughs> uh, knock knock. Who's there? Dishes. Dishes who? Dishes Sean Connery. <laughs> <laughs> I love how I can't hear. That was hilarious. <laughs> Fishes. <laughs> well, on that note, mm-hmm. um, Everyone go finish reading Six of Crows and then come back and listen to us. Sounds good. Oh, and thank you to everyone who's been listening. If you want to get in touch with us or send us a message or send us a dad joke or let us know about a series you really liked and want us to read, um, you can email us at mnktalkya at gmail.com. And you can also follow us on Instagram and Facebook at mnktalkya. Bye, bookworms. Go get a library card. M&K Talk YA is produced and edited by Marissa Snyder and Katie Bradford. Original music composition by Timothy Milkey. Logo design by Marissa Snyder. For updates and extras, visit mnktalkya.com or follow us on Instagram and Facebook. And if you haven't already, please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes. We would like to thank James Tobias, Chad Snyder, Meredith Kelfie, and Michael Howard for all of their support. Thanks for listening, and see you next time.